Pastor Javen continues our series on the book of Genesis. Today we're going to meet Abraham, and we'll see that even in that moment, God had you in mind. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. You know, I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, that I'm not somebody that likes to sleep under the stars, right? But just because I don't like to sleep under the stars doesn't mean I don't admire the stars and I don't admire the beauty of a clear night. When you go outside and you see the stars, I brought an image kind of like, kind of like this. When you look up to the skies and you see those, the, the skies in, or the stars in the sky, you look and you're like, man, this is so beautiful. Have you ever looked at that and maybe, and, and it just, you begin to think about the legacy that you hope to leave in your life. Now, here's what I mean by that. Do you ever look and do you ever think, man, I hope that the legacy I leave in my life can be that dynamic, that impressionable, that ongoing. The way that we look up into the stars in the heaven, we see how dynamic it is, how impressionable it is, how ongoing it is. And we think, man, that could be amazing. What if the legacy that I leave could go through my, those that come through my family in that way. And and you look at your descendants and you think, you ever looked at the stars and thought, man, I hope that my descendants is like that, that dynamic, that ongoing. Maybe you haven't. You're like, nope, I'm good with the small family that I have uh, right now. I know a kid that proclaimed when they were very young that they wanted to, they were hoping to have a hundred kids when they get older and get married. And I thought, well, when you, you might have somebody else that says, no, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> at least not in a natural way, maybe, uh, maybe another way. But, um, but what if you were outside one night and you were looking up at the stars in the sky and you hear someone say, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. What would go through your mind at that point in time? We're in week four of our Genesis series. And we have looked at the origin story of creation. We've looked at the beginning of creation. We've looked at the fall of man and what took place there. We looked last week at Noah and the flood. And this week we're moving forward and looking and being introduced to a man that maybe you've probably heard of before. He's, it's someone that's one of the more prominent figures in scripture um, outside of Jesus Christ. And that is the man, Abraham. And we're going to see that God has a conversation with Abraham under a clear night sky, very similar to what I'm just talking about. And we're going to see that God's going to speak to Abraham and explain to him that he's going to have a eternal significance in Abraham's life, through Abraham's life, and through Abraham's descendants. Not because Abraham is so great, but because God is great. And God is going to work through Abraham in a, in a great way. The key component that Abraham is going to have to embrace along this journey in following God is the component of trust. And we're going to see that just like Noah, Abraham was considered righteous because of his faith. But the thing about about Abraham and his faith was that his faith produced in him, just like it did in Noah, an obedience to God where God worked through Abraham and worked through his obedience. And here's what I want you to take home today, that your faith in God produces an obedience and that obedience opens a door for God to work through you. Faith empowered obedience leads to God empowered impact. So let's jump in. We're going to move along into Genesis. We, uh, when we move out of what happened with Noah, we move into Genesis chapter 10. We see the family line of Noah's sons begin to come into play. We see uh, that begin to develop. When we go into Genesis chapter 11, we see this big group of people with a bad goal. 
All right, you got a big group of people and their goal is they want to do three things. They want to establish a city. They want to build this tower that reaches up to the heavens and they want to make their name great. That's their goal. Basically what they want is they want security, they want significance, and they want greatness. Now here's the thing. If you think back to creation and Adam and Eve in the garden, when they were in the presence of God, living in the home that God had established for them, they had these things in God. But sin came in and took it away. But what happens is when they start to do this, God says, this isn't good. And so he confuses their languages. They all begin to speak different languages and then they're scattered into different territories. And into the end of Genesis chapter 11, this is where we meet Abraham. Now at this point in the story, Abraham's name is Abram, but we know that he is a part of the line of Seth. He is a part of the family line of God that come from Adam, that comes through Seth, that God is going to bless and God is going to work through. But then the thing about this family that comes from that family line is this family is not necessarily walking with God. I'm going to show you that in just a second. But Abraham's father was, he was a man by the name of Terah. And this family lived in an area that was called the Ur of Chaldeans. Historians tell us that the Ur of Chaldeans was a very uh, prosperous city. It was advanced in its uh, culture and the things that they did and the things that they used. But the thing about the area of the Ur of Chaldeans is they were not godly people. They worshiped idols. They did not follow God. Abram's father decided that he was going to journey towards Canaan, which Canaan would eventually become the promised land. This is the land that God's going to give Abram. But along the way, he stops halfway and he settles in a place called Haran. We don't know why he stops halfway. We don't know why he stays there and settles there. Scripture doesn't really tell us. But what God, what happens here is we see God call Abram out from where he was. And he calls him out from that land. He calls him out from his family. Genesis chapter 12, start at verse 1. We see the initial promise of the covenant that God is going to make with Abram. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country Leave your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot. So you see that Lot's his nephew and all his wealth, his livestock and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and they headed for the land of Canaan. So God is calling Abraham out. This is the initial announcement of the covenant that God is making with Abraham. This is an unconditional covenant. This is a covenant that would not just impact Abraham. It's a covenant that would impact everyone. It would impact all of us. Now, Joshua tells us a little bit more about Abram's father. Joshua chapter 24, verse two, we see Joshua write this. He said, Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor lived beyond the Euphrates river. And what did they do? They worshiped other gods. They did not follow Jehovah God. They did not, his, Jewish history tells us that Terah even sold and bought and sold idols. But what's amazing is that from this pagan city, from this pagan ungodly environment, God called Abraham out. 
And he called Abraham out to make him into a great nation that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Think about this. He gave Abraham the faith he needed to leave a good life in a comfortable land in order to live a full life in a strange land. And so Abraham embraced that. And you think back to what the people of Babel were trying to do when they were trying to build that temple and they were trying to build that tower rather that goes up to the heavens and they wanted the security and the significance and the greatness. God looks at Abraham and he says, I'm going to give you a home. I'm going to give you significance and I'm going to make your name great. Why? Because your name is going to be attached to my name, God says. See, anything that we allow God to build through us is going to be greater than anything we try to build on our own apart from God. We've got to put our faith and our trust in God and let him lead us and let him direct us. So Abraham makes the immediate decision to follow God and follow the the Lord's direction. But it doesn't take long to see in Abram a lack of trust that wells up in his life. We see in, in, uh, in, in Genesis 13 that a famine comes and Abraham has to leave and he goes towards Egypt because that's where the food is. And he looks at his wife and he tells her very sweetly, you know, you are beautiful. And she's like, oh, thank you so much that you say that I'm beautiful. He said, no, you're too beautiful. Uh, because when we go into Egypt, what's going to happen is they're going to want to kill me and they're going to want to take you to be Pharaoh's wife. So we can't allow that to happen. So when we get into Egypt, then what we're going to do is we're going to tell them, you are my sister, not my wife. That way they won't do that. So they go to Egypt. They do that. They tell them, you're my sister. Pharaoh takes Sarah to be his wife, but God then begins to bring plagues onto Pharaoh. And, uh, and, and Pharaoh goes back to Abraham and blesses him out and saying, what are you doing? Why did you do this to me? You brought all this cursing on me. This isn't your sister. This is your wife. Take your wife and leave and get out of this place. Right? So we see that Abraham is trusting God to lead him where he wanted him to go, but he's not trusting God enough to keep the Egyptians from killing him and stealing his wife. Right? So, but he leaves. And what's amazing is he leaves with more wealth than he went in with. And he leaves not dead. So that's pretty awesome too. Right? And so when he leaves, he settles down in this area between Bethel and Ai. And him and Lot and their entourages have grown pretty big at this point in time. Scripture tells us, and they're kind of bickering back and forth between different things, resources on the property. And so Abraham and Lot, they meet, they get together and they say, okay, let's, let's split up. Let's divide our territories. Let's, let's go into different ways. And Abraham tells Lot, look, God's given us this land. I'm going to give you first choice. And Lot says, I'm going to choose the land further south. It's just closer to a place called Sodom. We'll learn more about that in just a couple of weeks. But he chooses this land and he goes to there and he makes his choice. And then God pulls Abram to the side again. And he reconfirms his covenant with Abram. Genesis chapter 13, verse 14. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Abram, look, as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west, I'm giving all this land to you. As far as you can see, I'm giving it to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants like that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. 
Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. Again, God confirms his covenant with Abram and what he's doing for him. Then we get into chapter 14 and we see that Abram has to go and he has to rescue Lot. Because Lot has been taken as a spoil of war. There's some kings that come together and they, had a, they, they battled. This is what happens. And Lot is taken as a spoil of the war. And so Abram goes and he rescues him. And on his way back from rescuing Lot and winning back the things for Sodom, uh, we see this mysterious man appear to bless Abram. We don't know much about this guy. He appears here in Genesis chapter 14. His name is referenced in one passage in the book of Psalms. And then the author of Hebrews references him again when he's talking about Jesus Christ. It's a guy by the name of Melchizedek. He is a high priest, but he's also called the king of Salem. Salem would eventually become Jerusalem. And this Melchizedek, he sits down with Abram and he blesses Abram. And he had brought with him bread and he had brought with him wine. We see later in the New Testament that bread and wine is associated with the Lord's table. It's associated with communion. And this priest sits down and he shares this moment with Abram. He blesses him. And then Abram responds by giving him a tenth, a tithe of all that he had recovered when rescuing Lot. He gives it to Melchizedek. So we go forward. And we'll move past Genesis 15 because we're going to come back and focus on that in just a moment. But after Genesis 15, when we go into Genesis 16, we see that God has been given Abraham and he's been given Sarah this promise that they're going to have a child. But Sarah gets pretty aggressive and says, you just need to go have a child with the woman who works with us, Hagar. And Abram says, okay. And he goes and Hagar gets pregnant. But that's not the promise that God had given The promise was that Abram and Sarah were going to have a child. And then Sarah becomes frustrated with Hagar and jealous. And then she becomes kind of strong and how she treats her and the way she reacts towards her and all these different things. And then we move a little bit further and we see yet again down the road that Abram makes this choice to say, Hey, we're going in this place. I'm a little scared of the king. We're going to tell him that you're my sister again. We're not going to tell him that you're my wife. This is Abraham. This is what people call the the founding father of our faith. This is the one who God chooses to bless. And from his line, from his descendants, would come Jesus Christ that would save the entire world. But even though Abram wavered in his trust from time to time and made some decisions that weren't the best decisions... He never stopped following God and God never stopped working through him. See what Abram shows us that is that our faith is in an internal conviction that leads to an external action. The way we know that Abraham kept believing in God and believing in his promise was that Abraham kept following God and obeying God. And doing what God had called him to do. And going where God had called him to go. But see, Abram had a faith and a trust in God. And faith is only as good as the object that the faith is in. You can have faith, a huge amount of faith in something that 
is not worthy of your faith. And that faith would be meaningless. That's why Jesus said you can have just a mustard seed of faith in God. A small amount of faith. Because what matters is the object of your faith, how big God is and who you're putting your faith in. Look at how Paul described who Abraham believed in. Romans chapter four, verse 17. This is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I've made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. This is the faith that Abraham had. We're going to see that faith portrayed even more again in just a few weeks. Incredibly. But this is the faith that Abraham has. His faith comes in a God that creates life, that makes things new again. He creates out of nothing. He brings things into being. So where there looks like there's nothing, where it looks like everything is empty, when it looks like everything is void and meaningless, Abraham's faith is not swayed by that because his faith is in a God that still works in the middle of all that. Now, did he always do everything right? No, we see that. We see he didn't always do everything right. But the thing about Abraham is he kept moving forward even after he faltered in his faith. Look at what Paul keeps going and says about Abraham. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Well, what do you mean, Paul, that he didn't waver? Because we've seen these different places where he, his trust seemed to waver and he, and he, and he told people that Sarah was his sister and he tried to make things happen on his own. But here's the thing, Abraham's mistakes, his actions that took place because he feared the circumstances more than he trusted God. Those situations didn't mean that Abraham walked away from God. The word that Paul uses there was, and for waver means to, to separate oneself from often in a hostile way. And notice what he says. He never wavered from, he never wavered from God's promises because Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what God had promised to do. Even though Abraham didn't have the power to be perfect while God was doing it. And we see through Abraham that while God's servants make mistakes, God's sovereign protection saves us from ourselves and his promises are sealed in him. So Abraham had to trust. He had to keep moving forward. And what did he have to trust? He had to trust. He had to put his faith in God and follow God's will and God's timing. And it's hard to follow God's will in God's time sometimes because God's timing isn't always our timing. And this is what's happening with Abraham and with Sarah. They're trying to make God's will happen in their time rather than God's time. But we've got to learn to wait on God and waiting on God is not punishment. It's preparation. We've got to change the way we see waiting on God. God is, if you're having to wait, God is preparing you for what he has you waiting for. 
And Paul said that Abraham's faith grew stronger as he waited. And so we go into Genesis 15, and this is where we'll conclude in looking at what God does through Abraham and speaks to him, because I believe this moment gives Abraham the faith. Even though still after this moment, he makes mistakes. This gives him the faith to never waver from God's promises. Genesis chapter 15, verse one. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? This is before Hagar. Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. And then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abram aside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? And the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a partridge in a pear tree. No, I'm just kidding. That's, That's not in there. Just making sure you're awake. You're still with me. All right. A turtle dove and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and he killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle, laid them halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. I was worried about that. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. For the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I've given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. This is the third time that Abram is hearing this covenant promise. But in this time, God's not just giving him the covenant and giving him the promise. He's ratifying the covenant. But Abram's seeing this or he's hearing this and he's saying, okay, now we're seeing Abram's growth and Abram's maturity because now he's beginning to seek God even deeper. And he begins to say, God, where are these descendants going to come from? I don't have a child. And this is where God says, we'll look up at the stars. And so he looks up at the stars and he believes that God's going to make a nation out of him that great. And Moses tells us, Paul reminds us 
that the faith he has in God to do that is credited to him as righteousness. Just like we saw with Noah, God's grace is on Abram. And he declares him righteous because of his faith. Abram's faith was in a seed that would come. Our faith is in the seed that has already come. It's about Jesus Christ and what he does for us. That he came and he lived not just a good life, but a perfect life. And he gave his life on a cross and he suffered the penalty for our imperfections. Jesus Christ is the blessing of the nations that was promised through Abraham. Second Corinthians chapter five, Paul writes in his letter and he tells them this. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, that we could be made right with God through Christ. And Jesus didn't come just to make us a better version of ourselves. He came to make us new. He came to give us new life. He came so that we could put our faith in him and let that faith in him direct our life. We're not living from from our righteousness because there's nothing righteous about us. And we're not living to prove ourselves righteous. We are living from his righteousness. And if I'm living from his righteousness, then that means I don't cheapen the grace that comes from his righteousness. So then Abraham wants to know, well, how is all of this going to happen? How am I going to gain possession of this land? So God tells him to go and he directed Abraham to go get five distinctive animals to come and use. All of these animals are animals that become part of the uh, atonement sacrifices and offerings that God's going to make through the Mosaic covenant. And God's going to have them use in those covenants. But he tells him, go and get these things. He cuts them in half and he splits them apart. And they begin to go through what is known as the cutting of uh, the cutting of the covenant. This was an ancient covenant agreement that would take place between parties back in those days. They would take these animals, they'd cut them in half, very barbaric, they'd push them to the side, the blood would flow out of these things, and they'd make a trail of blood that the two parties would then read the agreement by which they were making. After they read the agreement, they would walk side by side through this trail of blood as if to say, I am making a covenant that we're going to follow this agreement, and if one of us violates the covenant, the agreement of this covenant, then what's going to happen to the violating party is going to be the same thing that happened to these animals. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that and I think about the history of that, if you've ever bought a house, you had to sit down and sign like hundreds of papers when you did that. And it felt like toil and trouble, right? While you're doing that, I think I'd rather do that than do that. You know what I'm saying? But this is what's happening and this is what Abram does. But then God puts Abram to sleep. And while Abram's asleep, he has this dream to see what's going to happen through his descendants. He shows them that they're going to be taken captive. This is what happens to the Israelites in Egypt. And they're there for 400 years until God frees them. And then God punishes Egypt. And he's showing Abram in advance what's going to take place to his descendants. But then Abram, while he's asleep, he sees this fire pot and this smoke, which is a representation of the spirit of God that moves through this trail of blood and it moves through on his own. Abram does not walk side by side with it. God is saying he has taken upon himself the full responsibility of the covenant. 
It's all on him. And so Abram, your focus doesn't need to be on how is all this going to happen? Your focus just needs to be on the one that's going to make it happen. Our focus doesn't need to be how things are going to happen in our life and what God's going to do. Our focus just needs to be on God and then work, let God work through us. Let our faith in God produce an obedience in us that opens the door for God to work through us. That's what's happening with Abraham. With Abraham, This, I believe, is where Abram's faith is growing stronger. And in this moment, it assured him of the promises of God, that God would do what he said he would do. That God would see things through, even when Abraham himself made mistakes. Abraham's righteousness was not going to be shown by Abraham never failing. Abraham's righteousness came through his faith in God. And the confidence that Abraham received from God's righteousness is what gave him the strength to, even if he messed up, even if he made a mistake, to get up, to declare his trust in God and to keep moving forward and to see his faith grow even stronger. Trusting in Christ is not our ticket to live just how we want to live. It's our call to live how he leads. And Abraham demonstrates this. And so what we see next is in Genesis chapter 17 is that God changes the name of Abram to Abraham. He changes the name of Sarah to Sarah. And he does that by adding the letter ha to their name. You're like, the letter ha, how's that a letter? It's a Jewish letter, right? It's a Jewish letter. And, and, and they say this letter, Jewish circles say that this letter represents the breath of God because of how it's pronounced. Hey. The breath of God all throughout scripture represents the spirit of God. When God created man, he breathed life into man. He breathed the spirit of God and gave life to their soul. When Jesus was resurrected and he surrounded his disciples and he spoke to them, he breathed this Holy Spirit, John says, onto his disciples to strengthen them to be able to walk in him, to walk in their faith. What God was doing is he was strengthening Abram and he was strengthening Sarah, strengthening Abraham, strengthening Sarah by his spirit. Abram was meant to be, Abram, the name Abram meant father. But Abram wasn't just meant to be a father. He was meant to be a spiritual father. Sarah, Sarai was shown to be a strong-willed woman, right? Strong in her actions, strong in her words. But God wanted her to be strong in his spirit so that he could use her for so much more. And see, ultimately, Abram gets his son. And that son becomes a nation. And that nation gets taken captive into Egypt, just like God showed Abram was going to happen. They stay captive in Israel or in Egypt for 400 years until God rescues them through Moses. And he frees them. And Egypt is punished because of it. And after many, many years of ups and downs in that nation, eventually the promise comes in Jesus Christ. And then Jesus lives a life without sin. 
And the night before he's betrayed, he sits down with his disciples for a Passover dinner, what would become called the Lord's table. And we see him have this conversation with them. Luke records it in Luke chapter 22. He says he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And then Jesus would be died and he'd be resurrected. And as we said, he would give his spirit to his disciples. He gives his spirit to us to strengthen us, to live by faith according to his righteousness. Think about this. When Abraham went out and he looked up at that night sky, a night sky very similar to the same night sky that you and I look up to. And God told him, your descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. What he meant by that was that Abraham's offspring, through his offspring, God would bring life that many people. And when you look up to a sky at night and you see the stars, think to yourself, remind yourself, when God was having a conversation with Abraham, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about the generations that would come behind you that would put their trust in him. That would put their faith in God. That would follow God. And so when you say yes and you follow God and you put your faith in him. You let that faith direct your life. It all started Genesis chapter 11. This whole story of Abraham starts with a group of people and a bad goal, right? To build a city build a tower to get to heaven, to make a name for themselves, security, significance, and greatness. When Jesus speaks to John and he gives him his vision of what is going to happen in the world to come, Revelation chapter seven, we see this, these words, verse nine. After this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in the front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and they held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. This is the scattered nations of the world. And they are now gathered together, not speaking one language not surrounding something that they built, not declaring their own greatness. (laughs) They're speaking multiple languages. They're not just in uniformity, they're in unity together. Surrounding the throne of God, surrounding what God has built, what God has established. And they are proclaiming the wisdom and the honor and the glory and the power and the salvation of God. 
this starts because Abraham puts his faith in God. A God that apparently he didn't know much about because he grew up in a home that did not follow God, that worshiped idols. But he puts his faith in God. And that faith produced an obedience that God worked through. And God did something amazing through it. Your faith, your faith can produce an obedience in you that as you put your faith in God, let that faith produce an obedience in you. As it does, it's going to open the door for God to work through you. Faith empowered obedience opens the door for God empowered impact. The grace of God and Christ is too great for us to cheapen it and ignore following God. You receive his grace and you follow and let him lead you and let him direct you. When you put your faith in God, your destination is that that we see in Revelation. Your destination is you surrounding the throne of God, worshiping his goodness and his salvation and his glory. So put your faith in him. Believe in Christ and what he's done for you. And let the faith you have be demonstrated by your obedience to him. But know this, even if you make mistakes, even if your faith falters from time to time, God's faithful promises never fail. Your spiritual enemy would want you to think that your falter is your failure. That's not true. His covenant has been sealed by what Jesus did on the cross. Keep moving forward in your faith and let your faith keep getting stronger in Him. Amen. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccanbin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803 803- Six seven six seven five six six, and we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.